Hey friends, welcome to our first full-length conversation here at the Collectives Conversation Podcast. I've got a new friend, Jason Romano from Sports Spectrum at the table today. Jason has an incredible story of coming to Christ later in life, which is super unique. And he tells a story of leaving ESPN. I'm a big sports guy, love sports, watched Sports Center my whole life, wanted to be on Sports Center, wanted to be in broadcasting before the Lord called me to ministry. So this is a super fun conversation. We get to hear a story of somebody who had an incredible transformation and encounter with Jesus, and God called him to something new and took a huge risk. So I'm excited to present this conversation with Jason Romano. So let's get to the conversation. Jason Romano, welcome to the Collectives Conversation podcast. Great to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Jason, you're the director of Media with Sports Spectrum, the host of a popular Sports Spectrum podcast. And this is the part I love. For 17 years, you were an Emmy award-winning producer and senior manager at ESPN. Uh, You were part of popular shows like Mike and Mike, Sunday Night Football, Outside the Lines, and many more. I know I, I did a little bit of research. So if, if both things are true, which I don't think they are, you would be my hero in li- living my 12-year-old dream. But there's a Jason Romano who was drafted by the Texas Rangers and played, we'll call it a cup of coffee in the Major League Baseball. That's not you, though, right? It is not. Although I will say this, Jeff, there has been multiple people who I've invited onto our podcast who thought I was that guy. And I had to break no hearts. Yeah, they were like teammates or guys that faced him, you know, when they were playing against him. And I said, I'm not that guy. I wish I was. I wish I was the guy who played Major League Baseball and then went into this broadcasting thing. Unfortunately, I was the guy who made it as high as high school and then, you know, a little bit of community college basketball. Um, So I was an okay basketball player. But, man, do I wish I could have played in the majors. That would have been amazing. Listen, I, too, am a guy who failed, like, about high school. Um, that's why it was a dream come true because I was like, if you played Major League Baseball and then you were in in media, um, what a lot of my friends know who who kind of have followed me, especially in other podcasts, know the first two years of my college career were spent at Illinois State, and I was a uh, broadcast journalism major, wanted to be in sports, uh, sports media, sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so like those two things, I was like, if you played major league baseball and worked at ESPN, like the 12 year old to me is like, this is a dream come true. Like, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. I would have um, my hands clean and just said, I'm done. That was it. I did it. You know, accomplished well, everything I needed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, hey, whoever Jason Romano is, has two major league home runs. So good on him. Right. Like, I don't know. Maybe you'll get to meet him one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's a funny story real quick, Jeff, I'll share. I, I remember when I was working in local radio in New York, uh, Albany, New York, okay. when I first got my start, and we had to go cover, or we got to go cover, is a better way to say it, the Baseball Hall of Fame ceremonies that year in 1999, oh, awesome. which was awesome. And it was Nolan Ryan and Robin Yount and George Brett, like big time names that were going into the Hall of Fame. And they used to have a Hall of Fame game. That was played in Cooperstown around the time of the induction ceremonies. And it was, I think it was the Rangers and the Royals because of the two connections with the teams that were represented by the guys going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So we went to the game and I went before the game and I had a little good old fashioned microphone and, you know, tape recorder and did a few interviews and have some pictures of me doing those interviews. And then I sat down in the stands with the host. I was a producer. I was not on air at that time. Right. And we're just watching the game, and all of a sudden, you hear the announcer say, Now batting for the Texas Rangers, number one, Jason Romano. And I went, 
<laughs> I'm just here. And I did a double take and I'm like, there's no way. And there was this kid that came up and got an at bat. He was in the minor leagues at that time. And then I, I stayed for one more at bat just to make sure I heard yeah. the name correctly. And I actually recorded it too, which was kind of funny because I was like, I'm going to use that for every intro I ever have in my life. And it was Jason Romano again. So I followed him since 1999 for a few years okay, uh, just to see what he was doing because he carried the same name as me, same spelling, yeah. everything. And then now he's an actual MLB agent. So I've watched him even on social media and he's developed a great career, clearly post playing career as an agent. So, but funny story, cause awesome. I just, just randomly at this game and I hear my name called and it's not me. And I'm like, that's the first time in my life I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So walk us through how you go from local radio. You said Albany to yeah. the big show, literally the big show of ESPN. Yeah. So, I mean, like you, and I think a lot of people, when I realized I wasn't going to be, you know, professionally, uh, a professional athlete in any way, the next best thing was to talk about sports or go into broadcasting. And so in, in high school, I made the decision that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster if I could. And so I went to college for that, ended up in local radio mm -hmm. in Albany, New York, like I said, and I was actually not even covering sports when we were out at that baseball hall of fame ceremony. We were I was on a news talk radio station and kind of a morning zoo sports or a news talk show as a producer. We did just a little bit of sports, but obviously the dream was always ESPN. And I wish there was a, a sexier story as I tell this, but I went online in the old days of the internet, the early days of the internet. Mm -hmm. I saw a job opening at ESPN. I applied for it on the computer and put my resume in there somehow. I don't, I didn't have like any kind of scanner or anything, but I got my resume in there. They called me. I went out, I interviewed and I was completely fine. If the story ended right there, like I can't believe ESPN called me and brought me out for an interview. And a couple weeks later I got a call and they wanted to hire me and I started working there. And it, it's really interesting wow. because there's I mean, we had just gotten married, my wife and I, that time of life, I was 26. Uh, we had just moved into an apartment like a couple move, uh, couple months earlier. And I kind of thought I was settling into this local radio thing for a while. And they called yeah. and they were interested in, to, to, to drive out to Bristol, Connecticut from Albany, New York. It's two hours. Uh, I was just so nervous, but also excited. Like, are they really going to hire me? There's no way. Why? Who am I? Yeah. Uh, ESPN right. was, was a, was a dream beyond dreams. I didn't even think about working there because I didn't think it was possible. Uh, and I yeah. loved ESPN. I mean, I knew everything about ESPN. I have VHS tapes down in my basement here in Connecticut right now of ESPN highlights of NFL games. So I still, I mean, that's yeah. how I was as a kid in the nineties, early nineties recording ESPN, watching it religiously. So to be able to even work there is just out of sight, out of mind. It was just insane. But I got the call and obviously I said yes right away. We had to work through some things, my wife and I. And uh, and I started there in July of 2000. Uh, and it was like walking into a candy store, or a toy store as this kid uh, and just thinking this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I think ESPN in the, especially the mid to late 90s was like TikTok for guys like us. Like I would wake up Absolutely. at my college dorm 
I would turn on Sports Center, and it was all there was the only show that was on was Sports Center, mm-hmm. and they would like air the hour and then replay it, yeah, and replay it, and like I would just keep watching, like I would just like I was in, like <laughs> like I already knew the highlight, knew the outcome, but I was still watching. I was watching Super Scott, all these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was that like for you, moving from local, kind of that local New York radio, um, to really the premiere of sports entertainment at the time? ESPN, I mean, still really. They hold the reins on that, but that's a big leap. So how did you adapt to that? Yeah, I honestly didn't think I was qualified, if I'm being honest. I mean, I the job that I even applied for was ESPN radio producer. So I was a Nash I was applying for a national radio job um, as their mm. producer of of one of their shows. And it was called Game Night on ESPN Radio. And it, i think it said in the in the job description that you needed five years of network radio experience. I had three years of local radio experience. So I honestly just applied on a whim. You know, if I'm not, I wasn't a Christian at Mm -hmm. the time, but if I was, I would have said, Oh, well, God, if it's in your hands, you know, whatever may be, may be. I just kind of applied on a whim thinking there's no way they're going to call me. And I got the call. And then obviously when we interviewed, um, they clearly thought I was qualified to hire me. When I got there, I think I was kind of, I was excited and it was, you know, everything you could imagine as far as walking around that campus and seeing all of your heroes, right? The Dan Patricks mm-hmm. and the Keith Olbermans and the Stuart Scotts right. and the Rich Eisens, like Bob Lee, Chris Berman, like names you would just watch and know from when you were a kid. But I was kind of walking on pins and needles a little bit the first three, four months too. Like, don't screw this up. <laughs> Look where you work. Do not mess this yeah. up. And I remember like three months in, I did something. I think I, I booked a guest on I, my first show that I worked on was Mike and Mike in the morning. Um, that game night show that I was supposed to be hired for two, three days later, uh, I was moved over to work on this new morning wow. video show called Mike and Mike in the morning, which was, you know, obviously one of the legendary shows. But I remember booking a guest for their show and getting a call from like the program director of ESPN mm-hmm. radio. And he's like, what were you doing with that guest? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what you mean. And he said, no, you booked this guest and that was supposed to be a, a guest on somebody else's show. And you got to be, you got to really be mindful of what you're doing, Jason, because you can't just steal guests from other shows. And he was pretty, pretty in my face about it. Um, which I get, you know, we, we're, you know, that's a, yeah. the, the style and the level of what they're trying to get accomplished is a big deal. But I remember hanging mm-hmm. up the phone almost in tears, like, oh, my gosh, I can't yeah. believe that I just screwed up. I'm going to get fired. This is going to be the end of my ESPN career. Um, thankfully, that didn't happen. But that's kind of where my mindset was, was just don't mess this up. And then you realize after a few months, like, you are you have skills just like these other people. You're qualified just like these right. other people. And work hard. Like, take your job seriously, but have fun. Understand it's sports. But you're here for a reason. So, do the best job you can and uh, and see where the chips may fall. So 17 years at ESPN. Yeah. Um, that's a long time. And But you just mentioned that you, at the time of, the, at, of getting the job at ESPN, you weren't a Christian. You hadn't been saved. When does that become part of the story? Because that seems like an interesting thing. You're sort of in this very secular world of sports. Mm-hmm. Um and yet somehow you find Christ in the midst of that. So tell us how that kind of happened. Yeah, it's interesting because going back to be, to being a kid, my God was sports. And that 
continued through high school and through college. And even when I got to ESPN, I would argue as much as I love my wife and as much as I loved my family, sports was right there with that as far as how much I cared about sports. And um, when I was a kid, you know, I went to church a little bit with my grandfather, uh, St. Patrick's Church in Ravina, New York. And he and I would go on Sundays together. He promised me if I went, he would take me, you know, to the arcade or to bowling or something like that after. And then we go watch football. And so I did a lot of things that were faith-based or religious-based when I was a kid because I wanted to get something out of it. Um, but I, I understood what my grandfather, especially now that I think about it, what he was trying to do, like just start planting some seeds here. Um, but I didn't yeah. really care about God. I mean, I, when I was 14 or 15, you know, I made my confirmation at the church, at the Catholic church I went to and went through some classes and a bunch of other kids that were my age were in these things. And then we, we all got confirmed by the bishop and, and the priest. And my grandfather was like my sponsor, I think is what they called it. And then that day after that, I remember my mom walking up to me and saying, Jason, thank you for doing this. Basically checking a box, doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. I'll never ask you to go to church again if you don't want to, but thank you for doing this. And it was she said that those were the exact words. And I thought, this is great because I really have no interest in going to church. So thanks, mom. Um, and kind of just accomplished that for her and then just kind of abandoned faith. I mean, I didn't really abandon it. I just didn't care. Uh, you know, if I right. went to church at Christmas or Easter, I would go for my family or whatever, but I just didn't care. But in 1998, three years before I ultimately get saved, my brother Chris becomes the first in our family. He's two years younger than me. I have two younger brothers. He becomes the first in our family to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And I did not know what that meant when he had that happen to him. All I knew was he was headed down a really bad path. Like he was going down some, mm -hmm. some, some roads that were pretty bad. And when he invited Christ into his life, like you saw this guy change. It was a 180 in everything that how he was living his life, how he was loving his girlfriend at the time, now his wife and just a different guy. He was also on fire for the Lord. And for me, that was very weird. Like seeing this guy kind of obsessed with Jesus was like, who is this religious crazy guy that is, you know, related to me? Um, but I love my brother and, you know, I watched him kind of change into a much better version of himself. So over the next three years, though, and this is all the time when I got married, then got the job at ESPN. During this time, my brother eventually is, is married as well and has a child, my nephew, Samuel. And I watched how he loved Sam and I watched how he was as a dad. And then I watched how he was as a husband. And I thought that is really attractive. Like, I think there's something there that I want to emulate in the way that I act towards my wife and treat her. And certainly hopefully someday when I would become a dad myself. And I asked him one day, I'm like, what is this? And he's like, it's, it's mm. Christ, Jay. And I'm like, all right, whatever. But what is it really? And ultimately that led to him inviting me to his church along with my mom, along with my other brother on Mother's Day of 2001. So I started at ESPN in July of 2000. So you're fast forwarding, what, nine, 10 months later. And I'm at, you know, this church, which <laughs> Jeff, you'll laugh at this. So I told you, I grew up in a Catholic church setting. Right. Go to my brother's church, and it is a charismatic, Pentecostal, I mean, worship music, clapping, dancing, even speaking in tongues a little bit. And I walked into that atmosphere, and I thought, 
there's no way I'm ever going to be like these cuckoo people. <laughs> there's just no way. Um, but I went cause I love my family and love my brother. And we sat down yeah. and I don't know what the message was that day. I can't quite remember it, but something about the sermon and it was your typical, you know, worship music announcements yeah. sermon, the sermon that day, something stood out and I don't know what it was, but something stood out. And a couple hours later, we're back at my brother's house and he, he asked me what I thought of the church service. And I said, it was, it was a little weird, Chris, a little crazy. Those dancing, you know, and clapping and I'd never seen that before, but the message seemed to be okay. It was all right. And I don't know why, but my brother at that moment felt the spirit of God and this boldness to say something to me. He's like, all right, come with me today. Mm. So we go in the back bedroom of his house and we're sitting down sort of at the foot of the bed. And he says, I need to tell you about Jesus. Like, I need to tell you like who Jesus is and mm. what that message was that you heard, what that meant for me is that okay? And I said, sure, go for it. Go ahead. And he proceeded to share with me in about five to 10 minutes, the gospel, salvation, sin, the cross, like all of these things that I had heard, but didn't really have any clue about. And he just said, do you want that for yourself? And I said, I think I do, Chris. And so we prayed together. He probably had me pray what would be deemed as a sinner's prayer type of prayer. And honestly, I don't know if I had died that night, Jeff, if I would have went to heaven. I honestly had no clue what I was saying yes to. I didn't really have any kind of relationship. But every every journey that I've ever spoken to people about with God has to have a starting point somewhere. And for me, that was my starting point. And it was about another year until I really grasped the decision that I had made, who Jesus right. was, and I got baptized maybe... I don't know, eight, 15 months later after I, after I said that yes with my brother. Hmm. But I tell people all the time, this is all Chris Romano's fault. Like anything that I'm doing now, for the <laughs> kingdom, this is his fault because he was bold enough that day to pull me to the back bedroom and say, let me just tell you about this hope that I have within me. He wasn't forcing the faith on yeah. me or anything. He just know, he knew he needed to tell me and I'm grateful forever. Jeff, because that changed the trajectory of my life. And ultimately it was a slow, you know, sort of pivot that I had to make, but it changed everything for me. And there's no way I could have ever predicted at 50 years old that I'd be sitting here talking to you about Jesus in my life and Mm -hmm. anything related to faith. If it doesn't go back to Mother's Day of 2001 and Chris Romano doing what he did. So, yeah. That's great. Uh, honest confession, I grew up on that that type of church, Pentecostal, <laughs> yeah. like running, speaking in tongues. That's mm-hmm. that is like that's. So I remember as a kid going to Catholic church and singing a Catholic mass, and I was like, "What is this?" So I had the yeah. opposite experience growing up. Like I had a friend that was Catholic. We went and like they were taking communion, like and everybody goes up, and I was like, "This is so different." We need you know, you stand up, you kneel, you stand up, you kneel, and I'm like when's like when are we gonna sing some new songs like seriously so my growing up was the was the inverse of what you had and and i'm still a pentecostal in that expression and yeah um the church of pastor but um what's so interesting is is how much do you think the catechism you went through and sort of the foundation of faith of your teenage years maybe maybe set the stage for what your family experienced in coming to christ i think I think it had something to do with it. I'm sure God, you know, God's plan is perfect and you can look and right. watch how he weaved this all together. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, I had things memorized, like the Our Father, you know, the Lord's yeah. Prayer. I had that memorized at seven years old. So I'm sure that those were seeds that were planted in me. But, you know, I always felt like I was a morally good person, which is, you know, if you read mm-hmm. the Bible, that's like filthy rags, <laughs> you know, in the eyes of Christ. But I always felt like I was a right. good person who didn't want to get into trouble and I didn't want to do bad things. And, um, I wanted the perception of who I was to be a good person. So I, I don't think that, um, you know, I, I think those were all like little seeds planted. I really believe my grandfather, just in the way he lived his life, he was a gentle, kind soul who really represented Christ mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in his life. I, I, you know, he died in 2007, so many years ago, but I look at his life and I got to live my first 34 years of life with him. And I think there was a lot of seeds being planted in, in, you know, I didn't have a great uh, representative of a father in my life growing up. So to have my grandfather there was the closest thing I had to anyone in my life who was a Christian. Um, and we didn't really even talk that way when I was growing up, like, pa, you're a Christian, aren't you? No, it was just like, we go to church and, you know, we come home, but I think those had a lot to do with it. At the initially, I didn't think they would have had anything to do with it. But of course, mm-hmm. hindsight, when you look back, you know, I believe the same way that I tried to raise my daughter and be intentional about showing her Christ um, and who he was and having her in church. And thankfully, she's still walking with Christ at 19 years old right now. But I, I was trying to be as intentional as I could when she was little. So hopefully, yeah. as she got older, she has those memories and the seeds that were planted in her that will be something that would, you know, sprout into her wanting to follow Christ too. Yeah. So imagine you're, you're coming to faith and your job at ESPN are in some ways coming into conflict or collision course at some point. Yeah. Um, probably not. So maybe not as overtly, but so if, after 17 years of, of Mike and Mike in the morning and outside the lines and all these shows that we've as sports fans have partaken in, uh, you decide to sort of step away, and I watched the Mike and Mike clip, and Mike Greenberg says it on air that you're walking away um, as a step of faith, as part of your faith journey. Yep. Um, what was that like? Because I mean, ESPN is the pinnacle of of who's who in the sports entertainment world. So, how did you come to that place of going like I had to make this step of faith into what God's called me to do? Yeah, that was a journey and that was a process. It was not an instantaneous thing. It wasn't like I woke up one morning and said, today's my last day at ESPN. We're done. Like that was not the case. Uh, You know, I got saved in 01, 2009, 2010 is where I really started to grasp who Jesus was as far as being the center of my life, you know, being able to go into ESPN Mm -hmm. and understand that I got to represent Christ in the workplace. So you know, that was 2009, 2010. Ultimately, I didn't leave ESPN until 2017. So there's this six year period uh, that just really was, I don't know, it was kind of seeking God for his will, right? And somewhere around 2015, Mm -hmm. I was invited to go to this um, small gathering. Uh, Our mutual friend, Matt Brown, was the one who invited me, ironically, to this gathering. (laughs) In 2015, and I didn't know what I was getting into. I just said yes. It was the first time I'd ever been asked to kind of come and speak to anybody about my journey or testimony. Uh, And I was excited. It was in Nashville. It was in the summertime. And so I went out there, and I think I was the only person at this gathering who worked for a 
secular company. I think everybody else that was there, and there was probably 70 people there, all worked for faith-based ventures, nonprofits, churches, things like that, you know, ministries. And I, a lot of them were doing the same job that I was doing at that time as a social media manager. And I watched this and I thought, this is really fascinating that there are people doing what I'm doing at ESPN. That's why they had me in to tell, you know, a little bit of my story, but also to share about the job that I was doing at ESPN. That was interesting to those people who were working in the same space that I was working in. So I watched this and I, it was the first time I'd ever had it in my brain that maybe God was setting me up with all this experience to go do something more for him. The first time I ever felt that was at that gathering. I don't know if I've ever even told Matt this, but then a couple months later, uh, a friend of mine came to ESPN who was at this gathering and I just gave him a tour and I always love giving tours and showing people around. I mean, it's when you work at a place like that, you want to kind of show it off to people and yeah. And let them know like how cool of a place that you work is. And he sat down with me and I told this guy, I said, listen, I don't know where this is coming from, but am I crazy to think that maybe God's calling me away from ESPN? This was the fall of 2015. And he said, uh, are you really thinking about this? I said, yeah. He goes, are you, I don't think it's crazy at all. He goes, and I said, okay, good. Bring the wisdom on. What do you got? He said, be careful because if you do, God's going to blow your mind. He's going to blow your mind. He's going to open up doors that you never expected. And he's going to, he's going to, you think this is great? Just if you're, if you think this is really God that's directing you away from ESPN, just watch. And I didn't know what that meant, but I remembered what he said. And at tw- in 2016, which was my last full year at ESPN, that's when I really kind of felt the end coming but still had nowhere to go. And all I did in 2016, I was working on Mike and Mike again and, and having so much fun. It was the best year of my of my career at ESPN. I got to do so many cool things and go so many places yeah. and cover so many sporting events. And yet I felt this urge still that God wanted me to do more for him. And so what I did was I just set up a bunch of calls a couple times a week in that spring and summer of 2016 with pastors, with authors, with right with people separate from ESPN, many of them, mm-hmm. if not all of them, completely out of the sports space, and I just wanted to talk to them. I wanted to hear their journey, and then I just wanted to ask them that question: Am I crazy to think that I think God is calling me away from ESPN? And all of them were incredibly encouraging, incredibly uh, kind, um, and telling me that if you think this is the Lord, uh, it's not crazy; it's God telling you to, to go away. And sometimes I think when we're trying to decipher God's voice in our life, we really have to sit down and say, and say, does this make too much sense? Um, for me, that's a good question. It didn't make any sense to leave ESPN. It didn't make any sense. Like at this time I'm 16, 17 years into my journey. I felt like at that point I was probably going to be a lifer, meaning I'll probably work there forever. Obviously, since I've left, there's been six or seven rounds of layoffs. So who the heck knows if I had stayed, if I wasn't going to be one of those layoffs. But uh, Mm -hmm. it didn't make a lot of sense, which is what I kept coming back to, that maybe this is God, because it doesn't make sense. It's not something that on my own merit, I wanted to just do. I wasn't looking to leave. And ultimately, what happened was um, I got a call from a friend of mine, Steve Stenstrom, who is the president of Sports Spectrum, and he 
is telling me, hey, we just came into this sports spectrum brand. And do you know what that is? And I said, yeah, I'm very aware it's sports and faith. And he's like, I think you could be somebody who could really help us in this, in this area. And I thought, well, funny, you should say that because I've been praying about where God might want to direct me if ESPN wasn't going to be the place. And so over the next mm-hmm. couple of months, I prayed and we talked through what this could look like. And he made me an offer, which by the way, isn't it an offer to just ultimately say, yeah, this is where I really felt like it was from God because the offer was for 40% less than what I was making at ESPN. And there was no benefits. It was a contract position. It, it made no sense. But I went to my wife and I said, listen, we can live on the amount of money that they're offering. But even if I didn't think we could, like this is called stepping out in faith. We've never done this in our yeah. life. I said, I really trust that this is from God. If it's not from God, it'll blow up in my face. But if it is, he'll see us through and he'll do what my buddy told me at ESPN a year earlier. He'll blow the doors open. So ultimately I made the decision. I left and, um, you know, there was one or two people that were really confused uh, on why I was leaving. But a lot of Mm -hmm. other people, when I told them I was trying to follow the call of God in my life, they really sensed that that was probably a great move for me. So I had a lot of encouragement yeah. from people at ESPN telling me, hey, good for you. Even Greeny, when he mentioned that on air, Mike Greenberg, you know, I didn't walk around telling people I was a Christian, but he knew. He's like, he's mm-hmm. following his, yeah. his his step of and call of faith in his life. And that really helped me, I think, to make that transition. It was scary for sure. And it wasn't probably till another year until I could look back and say, okay, God, yep, clearly this is where you wanted me to go. But he blew the doors open in ways that I completely did not expect, Jeff. Well, I I think any step of faith comes with, um, if there's not a little bit of hesitation or fear, then maybe it's not the step of faith. I mean, faith requires us to, to boldly trust the Lord in some things that, that we can't manufacture on our, on our own. Um, and moving from again, ESPN to sports spectrum and, and the pay cut and all the things and, and things in the nonprofit world aren't always, secure at all i mean we watch you said espn cuts i mean like nonprofit is is nonprofit. Yes. like like it is not a great place like it's nonprofit for a reason and so right. what's so interesting is my my wife and i have this philosophy and maybe you saw this play out we call it the um it's not really a a theory or a th- theology but more a philosophy of echoes like anytime you're taking a step of faith there's something that god puts maybe in your heart and your spirit and then there's people who show up and echo that like they um, we may call it confirmation, but it's just like over and over kind of shows up as you are making this decision to leave ESPN and step into sports spectrum, even maybe before sports spectrum, were there people, people who were like the echoes of God, like that sort of like, yeah, this is me. Yes, for sure. And one of them is my late pastor, pastor Joe Jacob, who he died about a year ago, but he, uh, who was our senior pastor at our church for many years, I remember being in the car with him. We were going to to some kind of gathering together and he was just asking me how I'm doing and we were talking through some things. And I said, I think God's calling me away from ESPN. This is really weird to say. I don't have any, you know, any proof of that, but I just kind of feel the spirit in my heart, I think, to to leave. And he was one of the very first people who looked at me and said, uh, you got it you got the itch, you got the bug. And I'm like, itch, what are you talking about? He goes, the God itch. He's like, the Lord's working on your heart right now, isn't he? And I'm like, I think so. 
And he's just kind of smiling. He's like, oh, I can't wait to see what the Lord does here. And he never <laughs> knew what it was going to be. This is way before I had left or even known yeah. where I was going. Uh, but he was one of the first. And my brother, Chris, was another one. I mean, he's Chris has been, he's the one that led me to the Lord in the bedroom and yeah. Mother's Day. But to this day, he's a, you know, he has his PhD in biblical studies. He's a, a president of a small mm-hmm. Bible college and seminary. And he's, you know, a pastor and was a pastor for 20 plus years. Like the man knows Jesus and knows scripture better than anybody. And he's also been a real spiritual mentor for me um, in my life and guided me. And, and he's been, you know, him and my other brother are both my best friends, but talking to Chris, I can go a little deeper with him because of his connection to the Bible. And he was one as well, who was like, Jay, I, I like the fact that I have a brother who works at ESPN. I love the fact that I have a brother who wants to follow God's call on his life. And I got what he was saying there. Like, There's a real cool factor to saying you worked at ESPN and you got to hang out with athletes and all these things. And this is why I love talking about it because it was cool. It was just insane at the things I got to do. But when you got a greater call on your life, um, you know, and if God is, is, is clearly guiding your steps in the way that you, you think he is, it's important to walk through that door and, and follow those, those callings that he places on you. And uh, my brother was a real, just a huge influence on my life and helping me navigate that. Change. Yeah, that's good. So you moved from ESPN to, to Sports Spectrum and help them sort of move forward you, you have a sports spectrum podcast yep. and um it's really just storytelling of athletes and faith um i think as fans we sit and we see the athlete between the lines like we see the effort we see whatever the statistics that we have we have favorite athletes that we follow sure um but what you're really doing is helping these athletes kind of tell their story and tell their story about jesus so how has that like have you been surprised by the number of athletes who are Christians? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when we first started the podcast, it was March 31st, 2017. And I had maybe four interviews done and in the can um, recorded and ready to go. So we knew we had, it was a once a week podcast when we first started it. And I knew we had like a month yeah. worth of interviews. And I remember genuinely being concerned that I was going to run out of guests after the first few months. Like who else am I going to call? And a long amount of training as a talent booker at ESPN for nine years. So I knew how to book guests. I knew how to find people. I knew how to connect and have relationships with different people. And I was exhausting basically every connection I had of people who I knew were Christians in the space of sports. Uh, But what was really cool was, you know, and God does this, right? Like he introduces you to other people who know other people who know other people. Social media is a great place to connect. And even the ministry own sports spectrum, Pro Athletes Outreach, is basically the professional athletic space for Christians to come and learn about Jesus. So I was in a really good place where a lot of different people were being um, kind of thrown at me and or I could just go out, go find them and say, hey, man, I want to have you on or excuse me, ma'am, I'd like to have you on and tell you <laughs> tell your Jesus story, whether it's guys or gals. And um, but genuinely, I was worried at first. It's blown my mind that we've done 1,300 episodes. And I'm, I'm guessing That's wild. 12, 1,100 to 1,200 different people have been on the show. We've had a lot of repeat guests, obviously. But that's a lot of people 
in seven years. That's a lot That's of a lot of people. people. And God continues. Even yesterday, I was talking to somebody, and they were like, "Hey, you should look into this guy, um, you know, who loves Jesus, who's playing in this sport." And I'm all right. Let me look into it. And yep, that's a guy I'm interested in. And then you got to begin the process of, you know, reaching right. out and asking them if they're available and things like that. But I'm continuously blown away, not just at the amount of guests. It's great to have 1,100 guests or whatever the number is, but the quality of people that we have on, uh, some of them are really well known that are willing mm-hmm. to come on our, I call it our little show, to come on our little show and talk about Jesus. Uh, it's still kind of mind boggling to me. And that, I get to host it, by the way. We didn't talk about this, Jeff, but my career as a broadcasting professional was all producing behind the scenes. So when I left right. ESPN, I was asked to host a podcast and I said, I haven't hosted anything since college. Are you sure? <laughs> and they said, yeah, we want you to host it. Well, you've been around some of the best interviewers in the industry. And I said, okay, I'll try. And I've been doing this seven years and I love the job I have now. I mean, I have a lot of other things that I get to do, but to sit down and be able to talk to people and ask them about Jesus and be the host of a show, thats that was ultimately my dream when I was in college was to host yeah. a sports show and I'm doing it. Uh, I'm just doing it in a much different way than I ever thought I'd be doing when I was 21 years old. Yeah. And I feel like I have a similar story and obviously I, I pastor a church now, so I get to hold a microphone every week doing that. But yeah. um, before we got on, we were talking about, I, well, I think maybe we talked about on the air. I was um, at Illinois State and I worked in college radio and yep. um, was the goal was to be on ESPN because that's that's the goal. Or or backup goal was to replace Harry Carey or Steve Stone for the Chicago Cubs. I'm a huge Cubs fan. Right? Cubs win. Cubs and the only, win. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I got to meet Harry Carey once. It's a whole other story we can tell a different time. Nice. But um, so like, but but I was in the middle of that, and God calls me to ministry, and so I walk away from that setting, that microphone, and so it was so weird when four years ago I started another podcast. With my friend, um, again, Matt Brown's been part of that. Yeah. Um, and it was almost like this full circle moment of going, God, what you did 20 plus years ago and what you taught me 20 plus years ago is coming to fruition in something completely that wasn't even in existence. Podcasting in 1997, 98 was not a thing. Nope. Um, but the skill set was there, which I think is so godlike to go, hey, you didn't know what I was preparing in your life. And even that moment for you, Jason, yeah. you weren't a believer, right. but God was was preparing you for this. And which is so crazy to look at sometimes and go, God, you were doing something behind the scenes I didn't even know about, um, which I always just find it so amazing. And then uh, I'm, I'm just going to fan out a little bit. Um, one of my favorite Sports Spectrum episodes, though there are many that are really good, yeah. is the fact that you got to talk to Bear Reinhardt from Need to Breathe. <laughs> like, I know he's not a professional athlete, but he, that's like my favorite band. And I was like, oh my gosh, Bears on the show. He was close to, though. He was a, a, yeah, a college football, you know, All-American at, uh, I think he went to Furman, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly, and where he went yeah. to school in South Carolina. So yeah, that was really interesting, Jeff, because there are people that I seek out for interviews, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That was one that came to us. Some publicists reached really? out and she's like, hey, I'm a fan of your podcast. I know sometimes you have different people who are not, um, you know, sports athletes or coaches, 
we have need to breathe and bear Reinhardt. And she was trying to sell bear Reinhardt, which I thought was very funny. She's like, well, you don't have to sell that. He's like yeah. the lead singer of this band called need to breathe. And he plays golf with Steph Curry and he played football in college. Would you be interested? I'm like, would I be interested? Of course I'd be interested. It's bear Reinhardt. I love need to breathe. And that was really cool. So that walked into my, I mean, that just yeah. came to my lap just a few months ago, back in, I think, uh, August or September. And it was great. And uh, I loved having him on. But that was one that kind of just fell in my lap, which was really cool. And I, you know what that told me too, Jeff? And I'm not, I, I promise you, I come at this from a posture of humility. But the fact that somebody listened to our show and thought he would be a good guest, but actually knew the person was really neat for me. Like they're saying, hey, we know that mm-hmm. you, what your show's about. Yeah. We think Bear would be really great. And they came to us. Because when you first start out yeah. on a show, you're, you're reaching out to other people and pleading, basically, please come on my show. I need a guest. And um, we've gotten to the point now, seven, almost seven years in, where we're grateful that there are people who listen and are interested in coming on our show without us having to kind of chase them. Now, I still do a lot of chasing and I still people that I haven't had on that I really would like to have on. But that was one that fell in our laps. And Bear was awesome. Like, he's just great. Their music is amazing, by the way. Yeah. 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 Oh, I've seen them, I think, four or five times live. I mean, it's, yeah, they're my favorite band. Yep. And, and like, I think, I think the story is, and maybe just this past year, past season, his record finally was broken at Furman, maybe Sounds for the most right. receiving yards or something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, right. so he's like legit. Like, he's like not like just some guy. No, he was good. Um, he was, was, he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the funny part of the, the Reinhardt brothers is that I think his brother, Bo, was in the football movie radio. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember that movie with so I think, junior. Yeah. 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 So I think, I think Bo, who is not in the band anymore. And so we were totally off track. Cause I was just fan out about need to breathe, but I think he was in the, the movie radio. So they both had like this football kind of like totally, connection. I did not know that. Um, that would have been good to bring up. I, I should have done my, I've done a little more, a little more deeper dive into research on that one. <laughs> well, again, I'm a deep need to breathe yes. fan. So that's on me. Oh, but, I get it. Um, yeah. Glad I could help you out in any way I can. Yeah. So. But I mean, again, we talk about you're talking about athletes and, and exposing stories. We know the high profile athletes who um, are doing great things for the kingdom. Tim Tebow, um, prime time. Deion Sanders has been very outspoken since coming back into coaching football. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of athletes that you don't know are Christians. How are you guys at Sports Spectrum really trying to highlight some of the ones that we may not know about? That's a great question. Um because one of the things that I'm really keen on is like, how, how do you find the Christian athlete period? Like, how do you even know they're Christians, right? Like it, there's athletes out there. And a lot of right. times I'll get guys who come on and then, you know, somebody will email me and say, Hey, I heard your show. I didn't know this guy was a, was a Christian. And I'll, I'll either mm-hmm. have known that they were a Christian from somebody telling me, like we have great relationships with chaplains and pastors who, know a lot of these athletes and you know they're obviously very protective of that side of things but they also understand the platform that we provide is way more unique than your typical sports show because we want to ask them about Jesus but there's also other players that you know you're just kind of like seeing that they're posting scripture on social media or maybe they posted they got baptized or that they're praying or something and you go on that and sometimes that's always not the best indicator, but it's a starting point right. for us. Um, you know, and we, we are very clear when we make our requests, Hey, we want to talk about 
sports, but we want to talk about Christ in your life as well. And I don't say we want to talk mm-hmm. about faith. I say we want to talk about Christ in your life. And so when the request comes, they have every right to say, uh, yeah, that's not that's not for us. And I, I even had recently a professional baseball player, prominent baseball player that you would probably recognize his name. And we reached out to him. We had a connection. And I said, hey, we'd love to have you on to talk about your journey with the Lord. And he's like, I got to be honest with you, Jason. I would love to say yes but I haven't been in a good place lately with my faith. And I don't want to try and Mm. just come on your show and talk about that when I know it's not the right thing. And I'm like, thank you for being honest with me. I told him we pray for him. And certainly if we could be a resource in any way to help him grow spiritually, that we would be there for him. But that's very rare. Usually the people we reach out to want to talk about their faith because I think they understand it's the most important thing in their life. And as athletes, talking to media, they very rarely get, they never get asked about their faith. They very rarely even get a chance to talk about it. So um, yeah, in, in finding the sort of lesser names that you referred to, Jeff, I think, to be honest, I think those are a little bit easier guests to get because they're not in demand with thousands of people right. out to them. But I also find that they have some really great stories. You know, if you're the special teams linebacker on the New York Giants or something, um, but you love Jesus, like, I want to talk to you. Like, let's have a conversation. Yeah. I want to hear what God's doing in your life. Uh, it's great when you can have Kirk Cousins on, or it's great when you can have some of these big name players on, you know, Brock Purdy or whatever. But when you can talk to like these sort of lesser name guys, to me, there's a lot there too. And it gives them a platform to be able to share their story too. Yeah. It, it's been interesting as I've encounter some athletes we talked about that we both have talked to uh, daryl strawberry yeah um Darryl. on the podcast i had the leadership drip we also got the chance to talk to derwin gray i don't know if you know derwin no, derwin well um yeah. but and he told a story about coming to christ as an indianapolis colt and i was like those are things we don't hear about you know we hear about all the the other pieces of athletes and typically the bad of the athletics you know For especially sure. professional athletes and the things associated and there's all these stories we don't know of of people who are coming to faith as athletes, you know, that seems to be God's doing something unique in those circumstances and situations. And so what I love about Sports Spectrum is that you guys highlight those stories, you bring them out to us. Um, and I feel like oftentimes I'm finding out that athletes are Christians almost after the fact, after retirement, um, they come out in their sure. retirement speech and they thank the Lord and all these things. And you're like... I didn't even know that that guy was uh, a believer in Christ. Yeah, so yeah. appreciate what you guys are doing at Sports Spectrum. I want to touch really quickly. You are also an author. Yeah. You have two books. Uh, the Uniform of Leadership is your newest one. And then your first book was Live to Forgive. Um, did you ever think writing was going to be part of the story? No. That's that's the doors blowing wide open and God blowing your mind part of what I was told yeah. in 2015. No, of course not. Like I have no desire, even still today, I don't want to write any more books. Like I'm not, I don't feel this call to be a, you know, 20 time author. I mean, if God wants me to, I will. I haven't felt that, that urge or that nudge for a couple of years, but no, I, I did not want to be a writer. I actually don't enjoy the writing process. I am a producer and a content guy, but I'm not a writer. Uh, at least I don't think I'm a good writer. But thankfully, I had some help. And that's what I think God allows us to have in life is, is great people to come alongside and do life together. And I had a great team of people to help me with writing both of these books, including my co-author, Steve Copeland. And yeah, it was not something I was seeking out 
by any means, but real quick story in 2015, that same year, um, I had become uh, or asked to become part of our elder board at our church. So I'm an elder. I'm still an elder at our church. And, you know, an elder governed board is how we have our leadership team at, at Hillside Community Church. And part of being an elder, my pastor told me, my late pastor, Joe Jacob said, you're going to have to preach sometimes from the pulpit up here on Sundays every so often. Just, just be mindful of that. And I kind of laughed at him like, you're not going to ever ask me to preach from the pulpit, are you? He's like, yeah, it's going to happen. This is part of what it means to be an elder. And lo and behold, the very first time I was asked was on Memorial Day weekend, 2015. And I shared in that sermon for the first time kind of publicly about forgiveness and the broken relationship with my dad. And in sharing that, um, I had a bunch of people come up to me and tell me they were going through something very similar. And it was kind of eye-opening to me that God was going to somehow use my little story of me and my dad to help others. I, I just didn't ever really think that. I just kind of felt the Lord was telling me to share about forgiveness because I had I needed to forgive my dad. And one of my buddies who had written a bunch of books heard my sermon and he's like, you need to write a book, bro. And I'm like, no, I do not. Mm -hmm. What are you even talking about? And he's like, no, your story, it can really help a lot of people. So we began the process in the summer of 2016 of writing this book and it released in January, 2018. And uh, I could not have been more uh, thankful to the people that helped, you know, nudge me along to write this, that helped be a part of yeah. this. Even my dad, who, um, you know, we have reconciled and, and we're, you know, in relationship again, but my dad was the one that said, you need to write this book and you need to tell the truth. And if I'm the villain in it, okay, I'm the bad guy, mm -hmm. but you need to write it. So, so many people had a, a part in that book and it's the, it's the work that I'm most proud of live to forgive. There's no doubt. I've yeah. done a lot of cool things. We talked about a lot of that. Live to Forgive is the most important and proud of any work I've ever done in my life because it's my life story and it's truly done with the intention to hopefully help other people on their journey. Um, I love my job. I love the work I get to do now. I love the work I got to do at ESPN. I don't know if that really helped people. I think my work now maybe a little bit more than ESPN. It entertained them for sure. But that book, when I wrote Live to Forgive, it was truly not to become a best-selling author, and that didn't happen. I didn't sell like millions of copies of it, but I wrote it to help one person who could not forgive someone they loved. And I just have done so much work now on forgiveness and understand the power of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness in our lives and could not be more thankful that God nudged me to, to do that. As much as painful as it was, I'm glad I, I'm glad I got to do that. Yeah, I feel like as as guys, I feel like we there's a lot of us who have sort of broken relationships with dads or hurting relationships with fathers. Sure. And um, no matter what, you know, it could have been a good dad, a bad dad. And, and I think your dad was an alcoholic. He's yeah. expressed in the book and yep. some of those things that, that create hurts and wounds for us. And what I know theologically understanding is that the our earthly father creates sort of a lens we look through to our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. So how did the, this process of forgiveness for you and really sort of processing that out, working through that, help you see God in a different light? Well, initially, I think even when I accepted Christ in 2001 and began a relationship with Jesus, that having him as savior was easy, not easy, but it made sense. Like, yeah, I need a savior. I'm a mm -hmm. sinner. I'm a mess. But seeing God as father 
as Lord, that was a little different because I didn't have the greatest example of a dad. So seeing my earthly dad, I'm like, this is what it is to be a father. Like I'm just not seeing it. And it made it harder, I think, to see God and to trust God as father, as father to us, Mm -hmm. as a child of his. Jesus, no issues with him. Like I love Jesus and what he did on the cross and, and still to this day. But seeing God as like this perfect father, um, that was a struggle for me for a long time. I think the, 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 there was an actual moment when I said, dad, I forgive you. And it was the beginning stages of what has been a process for, you know, seven years now of forgiving my dad or eight years. But when you start to see God as father, as I think when you live a life that's truly representative of him and forgiveness I think we're never more like God and, and even Christ than when we forgive others. Um, that's the mm. prayer that we pray, right? Father, forgive us um, of our sins. You know, uh, it's the prayer daily that we're asking for forgiveness for the mess ups that we've made. And when we can learn to forgive others, like that is the that is the representative, the mirror of how God is for us every single day. And that's helped yeah. me understand him as father a lot more. I think when I became a dad as well, and especially watching my daughter grow up and knowing the love that I had for her and how unconditional it is and how much it's, mm-hmm. it's rooted in not anything that she does, but all about just who she is, that helped me as well understand who God sees us as, as his children, yeah. not about what we've done for him, but about who we are in his eyes. And um, yeah, it's been a process, man. I mean, it's not perfect and it's Certainly don't have it all figured out, but it's it's in a much better place now, I, I believe, than it was certainly when I was, you know, trying to walk walk through some difficult times with my dad, you know, a decade ago. Yeah, my my wife, um, we we read every morning in the our Bibles on the couch, and typically in some theological discussion because we're nerdy like that. And cool. so she was reading the prodigal the prodigal son story, yeah. and she was talking about how we all read ourselves into scripture. We were talking about this this morning and typically at some point we're all the prodigal, right? We see ourselves either as a prodigal, like we're coming home or we're the, um, the older brother who's angry about it. Um, and I think as I've gotten older and, and, and a dad, I start to see myself more or understand more the father role in that story. Yeah. Like it's totally different. Like now, like it was always like me about me and me coming home and my sin and, and being forgiven. And now I'm starting to see myself more as I, as I get a little bit older and I have kids that are now, um, young adults and late teens. I'm going like, I, I start to see myself in this dad role, Mm -hmm. um, and see it differently than I did before. And starting to go back to what we talked about, God as father is like, now I start to understand how my kids see God, like, or how they should see God through how I treat them. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great that the, the book is awesome. I'm so happy that you're walking through this process of forgiving your father. I think um, there's so many of us that have that kind of father wound that that this is probably an important story. Um, they can buy that where Amazon, anywhere books are sold pretty much. Yeah, it's everywhere. I would highly. Everywhere books are sold. Yep. Yeah. So highly recommend getting that. If you, if you struggle with forgiveness, I think that's a great read. Um, the show is The Collective's Conversation. I got one final question, Jason, and we'll get off here. Okay. Um, who is the one person historical, present, fictional, or in real life, and you've talked to a lot of people, that you would want to sit down and have a conversation with? 
So I've thought a lot about this. You gave me a little bit of a heads up on this. And, you know, like the easy answer is Jesus or it's a superstar sports athlete of some sort. For me, it would be two. I'm going to give you two real quick. It would be John Lennon. I'm a huge Beatles fan. And I just am fascinated by the very complex life that he lived in the short period Mm -hmm. that he lived. He was obviously killed at the age of 40. The other person would be George Lucas. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm a nerd when it comes to Star Wars. And, you know, Lucas is still alive. But just to sit down, there's not a whole lot of spiritual conversation. Maybe there would be um, with both of those unique people in terms of what they've created. Uh, It's not a lot of, you know, probably God-centered conversation. uh, But they're just people that, you know, those go back to my childhood with George Lucas. And, you know, the Beatles to me are sort of my secular fascination that I've had over the last five to 10 years about just how unbelievably talented and accomplished they were and what they were able to, to, to put out in a span of five and a half to six years, their whole career really has spanned about six years of music when that people know that's it. Um, so I'm very fascinated with those two individuals. I think, you know, certainly any of the biblical figures, the apostle Paul, Jesus, all those guys, I would love to sit down and talk with them too. But just from a fan perspective and from a curiosity perspective, yeah. I think John Lennon and George Lucas. Yeah. I mean, the Beals, I think about it and I think about like some of these other artists that died so young. Like I, I look at my life and I'm like, I've accomplished nothing compared to right. like these guys. What they did in a very short span of time. Yeah. Um, obviously, I confess to mine, it would be Bear Reiner. So anything okay. we can do to set that up would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. But man, this has been great. I love Sports Spectrum. Love what you guys are doing, Jason. It's been great to kind of, we've been connected on social media, but it's been great to kind of sit down with you. Thank you. Man, it's been a joy. And um, man, you've always got a seat at the table. So thanks for being a guest. Sounds great. Thanks for inviting me, Jeff. Really appreciate being on your show. Hey, friends. Thank you for joining us on another incredible episode of the Collectives Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion and want to stay connected to the collective's conversation, make sure to follow us in your preferred podcast platform. If something in the show really spoke to you, tag me on Instagram at Jeff underscore Pitts underscore. It would mean so much if you take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It goes a long way into shaping the future of our episodes and reaching a broader audience. We'll see you next week at the table for another great conversation. And be sure to check our follow-up episode titled Things I Learn every Tuesday following that week's episode. Remember, you have a seat at the table.